Welcome to the vineyard. And if you're here going, hey, what was that all about? I think I remember that song, but I don't think I remember it from church. What are you guys doing at the vineyard? This maybe is your first time. Hey, welcome to the vineyard. We usually do a sermon series during the summer, but let me just tell you what we just did. Okay? You heard Dobie Gray, well, you heard um, Jesse Gray doing um, Drift Away. The next time you're like thumping it in your car, you know how you are, something like that comes on and you crank it up, you get it nice and loud, you put the windows down, you put the top down, but you turn the bass all the way up, okay? You know what I'm talking about. And you just think you are living on the edge and you are making it happen. You're going to hear Dobie Gray throwing it down and then you're going to think, oh yeah, I remember Paul told Timothy one time that this is what he should be aware of. Because you're going to connect when I'm done. My desire is to connect that song to this scripture to a degree that you're another one of those people that has come back and told me, man, I heard that song on the radio the other day and I immediately remembered that psalm about Psalm 41 that you were preaching and I couldn't get it out of my head. It's like, yes, that's what we want. I don't know about you, but I remember... Um, hearing that song as a young child, this is what I want to talk to you about tonight or today. The idea of drifting, spiritually drifting in your relationship to Jesus Christ. And you know how it is. Man, we start drifting and what does that, what does that look like? Like when I say drift, what does that mean to you? To me, this is drifting, okay? This is Matt Fields. This is Matt Fields in his 1,000 horsepower Corvette coming down the, mo the mountain trying to beat um, the Porsche team's time because the Porsche team did something else with their little funny foreign cars. And he took classic American muscle and went up on top of a hill and spun the wheels faster than the traction could keep up with the car. And so you can see he's not out of control. He is literally coming down the mountain sideways because there are so many curves on this mountain that he has got to drift this thing to get faster. So he's literally driving sideways in the car, okay? Now, what you don't see, and you can go Google the actual video of this, it's absolutely amazing because they do a drone thing. In a couple of seconds, the back end of that car is going to meet up with that guardrail and fold in. My heart will sink from underneath of me. Matt Fields doesn't care. He'll just get another one, okay? But that, that makes me ill. Halfway down the mountain, he is burning so much tire that they have a team waiting. And when he gets halfway down the mountain, he straightens the car out. The back tires come off. The new tires go on. And he keeps on going. He's got a shifter that's up here, not down here. And he is just sliding sideways all the way down this mountain both ways. It's absolutely... This is drifting. Welcome to Tokyo Drift. Right? Yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. Welcome to Tokyo Drift. That's drifting. The drifting that I want to talk to you about today is like this. On my 25th wedding anniversary, I was the assistant pastor at a different church. My wife had been a stay-at-home um, wife all her, all her days. She was a stay-at-home mom. We raised our own kids. We went without. We lived on a single income. She got her PhD, and it just so happened that the same year, our 25th wedding anniversary, she got a one-year full-time visiting assistant or a visiting professorship at EKU. It was so amazing. Wow. And since we were living on one income, suddenly we had one whole income to do nothing with but drift. No, not drift. Okay. 
But we said, what do you want to do for our 25th? And I got to go, we got to go, we got to go to Australia. She really wanted to go bad, so I said yes. Okay, it may have been the other way around, but it was always a bucket list item for me. She didn't even have a bucket. Um, I got a whole bucket list. But I wanted to go to Australia. While we were in Australia, I wanted to scuba dive one time, and then I wanted to go deep sea fishing. I scuba dove one time. I, I scuba dived one time. Then I canceled the fishing and scuba dived four more times because I got to scuba dive the Great Barrier Reef, and it was ab. 74% of the world is underwater. I've seen things that you're never going to see, and it's absolutely magical. This was the last dive. We got on this ship. It's not a boat. It's a ship, okay, that holds 400 people, the Quicksilver. You can Google it. We got on with 400 people. They pointed it towards South America. They cranked it up, okay, like that Corvette. It came up on its airfoils, and we went for a solid hour straight towards South America. We were in the middle of the Pacific Ocean in the middle of nowhere. And then all of a sudden, the boat turned north. The 10 of us that were going to dive went to the back of the boat with our stuff on, ka-flap, 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 like that, turned backwards, and as the boat pulled away, fell off the boat into the middle of the Pacific Ocean somewhere. My wife, seeing me fall in, thought, there goes all my hopes and dreams. Everything I longed for all of my life just fell off the boat, and I don't have a clue where he is. He's in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And this was what was really cool. We sunk down to about 70 feet, set our BCBs, and drifted. The boat, on the other hand, turned it up, came up on the foils again, and booked it. And I don't know how long or how far they went, but what I do know is I fell off the boat. We all went down to about the same level. Sharks, not the great white sharks, but sharks. Here they come, here they come. Um, um, big moray eels, you know. I mean, just there, swimming, doing things. And then we just drifted. We didn't have to move our flippers. We didn't have to do anything. We just, it's called drift diving. And the point of drift diving is all you do is just get carried on with the current. And that's what I want you to hang on to. Are you being carried on with the current? Are you drifting away from what you know to be truth? Are you drifting from your faith that you were called to hold so tightly and you're just going with the current of the world? Is that what's going on in your life? Are you in here right now and you're feeling like, Joe, my relationship to God is just dead. My relationship to spirituality and spiritual things, it feels like it's anorexic. I just really don't care anymore. I'm just feeling like empty. And, you know, when people do that, when people do that, the next thing they do is hop churches. They do. They hop churches because they're looking for a fix. And that's not what we're called to do. We're called to work together and do things. Listen, I want to thank you for, for just snatching up this, this case for love. 
I was sitting in my office saying, God, there's got to be a place where we can make a difference. And I just happened to see something and I bit on it and, and my heart started crying. And so we began to do this thing and I started talking to Hannah and some other people. And it's like, we can do this. It will be awesome. We can give some integrity back to some little children that are hurting and they're broken. And so as a church, we can, I don't want to be apathetic to what's going on in Madison County. I don't want to go inside the building at the mall. And all of a sudden, there was a tagline, because they deserve more than garbage bags. Or no, we can do better than garbage bags. Wow. Every time I read that out loud to somebody, because we can do better than garbage bags, I cried. Come on, we can do better than garbage bags. And it was like, yes, this is amazing. And other churches were like, hey, can we talk to you about that? Um, that is really awesome. We're watching this. And it's like, thanks, and, and there, can we post this? And I'm watching people steal it that don't even live in Kentucky. And they're like, you know, how do we do this? And it's absolutely amazing. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. The idea of, are we drifting with the current or are we standing against the current? In our relationship to Jesus, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing or are we just trying to learn what we're supposed to learn? In the 60s, the idea of drifting would be, man, we're just going with the flow. You know, pop a couple of mushrooms like, dude, we're just going with the flow, man. Just, just chill. It's going to be all right. Okay, but we're talking about, are you just getting swept along in religiosity and churchiness? Is that what's going on in your relationship to Jesus? Because that's not what we're called to. I want to invite you to 1 Timothy. Paul is talking to his spiritual son, Timothy, in 1 Timothy. Whip out your Bible or your, um, your, you know, your um, cell phone or your iPad and just you know, do your U-verse thing and go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> the scripture I want to read with you this morning is in Timothy chapter 1. As always, if you're new here, that scripture will always show up up here. It's not because we're like shallow Christians. It's just like, hey, that, I can make sure everybody reads the exact same scripture if I put it up there. That's the only reason we do it. Well, then we don't have to bring our Bible. I'm not worried about you carrying a 1,200-pound Thompson chain reference Bible. <laughs> I'm interested in you opening up your Bible and getting what's in this word into your heart. That's what I want. Where I want you to do it is actually at home. While you're here, I'm going to make sure you get all the information I can give you. And so that's what we're looking at. We're looking at 1 Timothy. We're looking at chapter 1. We're going to just go from verse 18 to verse 20. And all we're going to look at is that Paul is speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy. And he's saying, Timothy, i got to tell you some things. I'm getting ready to launch into this letter about how to do church. This is what I want you to do when people gather together. And, and before I do that, let me just share you um, this thought with you, Timothy. Look at this. So he says, here's a trustworthy saying. This is what the Lord's grace is. This is the product of the church. And then he says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them, you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Alexander and Hymenaeus are, are two of them whom I've handed over to Satan not to be taught to blaspheme. And believe it or not, that is all the scripture that I really want to talk about today. I want to pull everything out of that scripture and I want us to digest it and ingest it and invest it. And then I want us to take it out in the community and make it for real. So we've got this picture of, of, of 
Paul and Timothy. Paul is a much older man. Timothy is a younger man. Paul was on his first missionary trip, and he went through an area called Lystra and Derby. And while he was going through Lystra and Derby, he came upon a young man who was raised in a godly home. And um, his, his um, mother and grandmother both had empowered him with their faith in God Almighty. And somewhere in this, Timothy had gotten saved and, and believed in the Messiah that was to come. And um, as Paul was going along, um, Timothy went with him. And so he becomes Timothy's um, Timothy his, his um, uh, disciple. So Paul is the mentor. He's the mentee. Paul is the discipler. He's the disciple. And, and Paul would say to him, follow me as I follow Christ. And so that's who Timothy is. And so then Paul says, listen, I left you there and this is the deal. And this is what I want you to do while you're there. By the way, these are the things that I want to talk to you about. Timothy, remember the prophecies that were spoken to you. Remember the things that were said when you got saved. You remember those people that prayed over you when you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. And people prayed for you when you got baptized. Remember those things? Remember those things you said when you went to the, that were said to you when you went to the conference. Remember the prophetic words that were given to you. He said, because I need you to fight the good fight. When we come in here together, when we lift up our voices, we are fighting the good fight. As we come in here and push back the darkness, we are fighting the good fight. As we come in here and pray for each other, we are fighting the good fight. It is so critically important that we get together and that we hug on each other and we love on each other because out there is bad and evil and wicked and it's awful and the hearts of men are only evil all the time. We should not even leave this building. We should stay right here. We should not go. Let us build three tabernacles, Lord, and we will stay right here. Okay? It's evil out there, but man, there's good out there. The Great Barrier Reef is out there. You know? The highways are out there. Kentucky is out there. But as we do this, as we fight this good fight, as we come in to be empowered, it's so that we can go out there. Evil people are only evil people till they get saved. So, let's get saved. Let's go make a difference. Paul is saying, Timothy, come on, fight that good fight. Hold on to a good conscience. He said people have rejected um, their faith and this good conscience, and they've shipwrecked their, their faith. They let their boat just drift, and as a result of drifting in the current of the culture, it smashes on the rocks. Until it smashes on the rocks, drifting on the current is great if it's drifting in the general right direction because you're not using any energy to make it go. It's good. Drop the sails, let the boat float. But pretty soon the boat hits the rocks. Pretty soon your life hits the rocks. Pretty soon when all we want to do is learn, 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 we hit the rocks. And the rocks are there to teach us. Now it's time to put into practice the things that we learn. When we stop and we say, I don't like the rocks. I like the learning. I don't want the practice. I'm going to go somewhere else and get some more learning. And sooner or later, you've got enough learning, right? It's time to do the doing part. And that's okay. That is good for us to do. Something I want to do on a side note here is just open up your eyes to that scripture. Paul opens this up. He sends this letter, and he says, I want you to know that a couple of guys have shipwrecked their faith in and amongst the community of faith that you're living in. By the way, their names are Alexander and Hymenaeus. They shipwrecked their faith, and I just want to bring that to your attention because I'm writing this letter, and I just want you to let this letter be read to everybody, Timothy. Let them know what I'm saying, and I want this out there that Alexander and Hymenaeus are causing me some grief, and they're causing you grief. It's like, what? 
Because we kind of think the church is like supposed to be this like, you know, only speaks English, like, um, like England English, um, you know, like, and then the Lord went out and said, peace be with you. And it's all monotone and like that. And it's not. I believe that Jesus existed in his humanity. I believe that he laughed. I believe that he cried. I believe that he cut up. I believe that he ran. I believe that he walked. I believe that he drank. He ate. He, he enjoyed life. He had friends. He had enemies. Um, but he loved all of them enough to die for them. And so here we've got Paul just laying it right out there. I'm going to just name these guys and put it there because their lifestyle does not match what they're saying. And when we begin to drift, that's what begins to happen. He's saying Alexander and Himenaeus drifted. And their, their, their lives and their faith and, and, and their confidence were shipwrecked. Can you say you believe that Jesus is a Christ is the Son of God? Does your lifestyle, your spending, and your language say you do? had a wild conversation with a pastor two days ago about your pastors who just think it's so cool to cuss and swear. It's like, wow. Yeah, it's just, it's like, what are you thinking? No. Even the not yet saved know that we're supposed to somehow grow in the godliness and stop swearing. Stop it. So don't get it, church. You're not cool. You're not. I don't mean you. I mean those that are listening. Just saying. Jesus said a tree is known by its fruit. Paul's talking about Alexander and Himenaeus. You know, you walk up to a, fruit, a tree, you look around like this, you see bananas everywhere. You don't say, hey, somebody shinny up there and get me an orange. You know from the fruit laying at the bottom of the tree, it's a banana tree. My wife and I were on our motorcycle four or five years ago, and we were going up through central um, California, to, uh, bottom to top. And it was cool because we were in the groves. And man, we're going by, and it's like, peaches. And we're going by, and it's like, lemons. And then we're going by, and it's like, oranges. And it's like, nobody's on this road but us. Let's go get some. It's like, that's stealing. We didn't go get some. But I wanted to. I coveted it in my heart because I could smell the oranges. But I could tell from looking over there. She said, what kind of trees do you think those are? And I looked at them for a second, being the bright person that I am. There's little yellow dots all over it. That's a lemon tree, and it smells like lemons. And then she said, look, those are oranges. And I thought, is she right? It's like, sure enough, she was right. It looked like oranges, and it smelled like oranges. A tree is known by its fruit. What does that say to us? I'm not here to be your fruit inspector. What does that say about Joe Wood when Jesus said a tree is known by its fruit? You see, because we live in a world where people will say to me, hey, I want to get baptized because, and I'll say, why do you want to get baptized? And they'll say, because I want to get saved. And it's like, no, 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 you get saved and then you get baptized. And, and where I go head to head with Reformed theology and once saved, always saved, is in Romans chapter 11. We bump heads there. But we've got this idea when I talk to somebody that's like 35 years old and they've been living like the devil, they're still sleeping around with somebody. And then I say, hey, you know, are you going to church anywhere? They're like, dude, I got saved when I was seven. And, and so it doesn't matter from here on out. It's like, that's not biblical theology. And, and so when we start to let our faith drift, we shipwreck our lives when we buy into the, the whole, well, if I said it, that's the magic words. If I got dunks, that's the magic practice. So I'm done. Let me just take you to Paul. He's talking to the church. He's talking to godly Christian saved people in Rome, in the book of Romans. He's talking to the church. 
These are saved people. And you'll see that as he comes to them because um, some of these Gentile people were like, yeah, we're saved, we're saved, we're saved. And you Jews, <laughs> we're better than you because we got saved. And then we're there. And Paul is saying, whoa, 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 be careful. Be careful because if the, 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 the groomed branch got cut off because it wouldn't bear fruit and you being wild get grafted in, be careful or else the Lord will cut you off and throw you out. Say, wait a minute, I thought I, that couldn't happen. It says so right here. You want me to read it to you? Romans chapter 11. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though being a wild olive shoot, a tree, have been grafted in among the others, now sharing in the nourishing sap of the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to any of those branches. If you do, consider this. You don't support the root, the root supports you. You will say to those other branches, you branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, unfruitfulness, okay? And you stand by faith, so don't be arrogant. But here's Paul. I invite you to tremble where your salvation is concerned, he says. Look at that. He's saying um, they were broken off. He said, don't be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare natural branches, he won't spare you either. Now, wait a second. There's where I start bumping heads with that idea. And when I chase it long enough, people of a Reformed theology or a Calvinist theology will say, well, hold on, that guy never really was saved. Well, then what do I do with the scripture? It says, if we restore somebody, you can't restore somebody that was never part of something to begin with. See? The only way you can restore them is if they were part of it. And then they be not became a part of it. And somebody said, well, it says, neither height nor depth, neither angels nor principalities nor powers, neither things in the present, things to come, nothing at all can separate us from the love of God. You know the only thing missing from that list? You. Think about it for a second. The only thing missing from that list is your free will. And so when I read this and I think about drifting and what it means for Joe Wood to begin to drift, I look at that and it says right there, be careful because you can be cut off and cast into the fire if you're being unfruitful or arrogant or prideful. And it's like, oh, wow. I've got to pay attention to my faith. Why? Because my, my faith is worth this pearl that is found and is, is a pearl of great price. And Jesus said, sell everything you've got and get this. And it doesn't make sense if I sell everything I've got to get it and then take it for granted. Instead, I nurture it. Paul says, work out your faith. Not work for your faith. No, work out your faith. Let your faith work itself out through you. Stop learning and start doing um, James says it the same way. You say, I have faith by what I believe. You say, I have faith by what I do. And, and he says, it shouldn't be either or. It's both and. That's what it is. That's how we know that our hearts don't condemn us. And Paul says, consider the kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. He's talking to Christian people. And he says you can be cut off. Kind of stands in the face of that. Unless you do some, you know, gyro theological hermeneutics and make it twist and fit. But he's talking about people that are shipwrecking their faith by letting their lives drift with the culture. And they're not standing against it. They need to stand against it. 
And they need to say, just because they legislate it doesn't mean it's okay. Just because they legislate abortion and just because they legislate marijuana does not mean it's okay for Christian church. I just went to two extremes of things that are out there right now. I'm not interested in being political. I'm interested in being moral. Just because the government says it's okay does not mean... Do you know that Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Explain to me how that is more abundant life. Okay? And then over here, God created it. It's good. Yay. Okay. Go ahead. Paul said, let's keep in step with the Spirit. I'm having a hard enough time hearing the Spirit in my right mind. I promise you I'm not going to hear him when I'm on that. Same way I feel about alcohol. Listen, I, I'm just going to tell you, I'll have a drink. But at the point that somebody on my staff has to give me the keys, we have a problem. It's not going to happen. Okay? And, and the same thing is true there. We've got to understand just because the current says it's okay does not mean it is not time for us to stand up and swim against the current. We've got to swim against the current. We've got to do it. It has to be important. You know how you cook a frog? Have we all learned that, how you cook a frog? You don't put a pot of boiling water on the, or a pot of water on the stove and bring it to a boil and then throw the frog in. And some of you are sitting here going, why on earth would we even cook the frog to begin with? Like, I don't know. But somebody said this is how you cook a frog, so I'm telling you, this is how you cook a frog. You don't bring it to a boil and throw him in because he's just spastic enough he can get back out unless you put the lid on real fast. But the way you cook a frog is the same way you come out of the shower beat red. You go in the shower, you put the frog in the water, you turn the heat up just a little bit. The, the frog's skin temperature adjusts itself to the temperature of the water. And so suddenly the water's not hot to the frog, just like when you're in the shower for a couple of minutes too long, and suddenly you're like, man, this feels good, but it's not warm anymore. What happened? Your skin came to the temperature of the water, and now it's, it, you don't feel it, so you turn it up a little bit, right? And you keep doing this and doing this and doing this until you've run all the water out of the hot water, 42 gallons for you to take one shower, because you've got to use all the hot water because you just can't feel the hot water anymore. Same thing is true with the frog. You just keep turning it up, and he doesn't mind it. His skin temperature just keeps adjusting to the temperature of the water. And pretty soon he's like, and he's dead. He's cooked. You can decide to eat his legs or say, well, that was a good experiment. Throw it away. Don't do that. They're living animals, and they're precious to my heart. Okay? Don't do that to frogs. I'm just saying that's how people's faith gets lost, a little at a time when you're not looking. It just happens. You're not going to just suddenly go out and crash and destroy your faith, most normal people. You're going to let it slip just a moment. It's kind of like when you're at the, at the restaurant and you're, you're buying some dinner and you had a great meal and now you're going to put your credit card down. They're going to go run it. You're going to tip 20% because you're godly Christian people that go to the vineyard and nobody's ever going to use your name to me and say they didn't tip ever. On your membership, I'm talking to you now. They're trying to raise their kids and get a college education. I don't care if you got bad service, leave a note. Okay, there. All right, and so you get up from the table. There's a free PSA, okay? You get up from the table and you walk away, and the next day you're filling your car up with, or you want to fill your car up with gas, and you take your wallet out and you reach for your card and it's gone. 
You didn't just go out to dinner and say, wow, I'm going to throw my card down and walk away. You weren't paying attention. Same thing happens to your faith. Your faith, you just begin not to pay attention. And pretty soon, you're sitting there going, Pastor Joe, it's, and church used to be really cool, but it's not cool anymore. Church used to be exciting, but it's not exciting anymore. Church is, church is boring. Talk to me about your walk with Jesus. Talk to me about what you're doing. Talk to me about what you're reading. Talk to me about what's going on, because that's important. You feel like you're drifting. You feel like that's what's going on. A surefire way, a surefire way for your relationship to Jesus Christ to begin to drift is for you to do nothing but learn more about Jesus. Just learn, 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 learn. Memorize verses. It's a great way to lose your faith in Christ. And you say, what kind of church is this that you would say that out loud? All right, let me say it for you a little differently. Don't do anything except memorize Scripture and win the Bible quiz, and do all that. Sooner or later, your relationship to Jesus Christ is going to drift because you're not doing what Jesus told you to do. You're just memorizing what Jesus told you to memorize. And sooner or later, we're called to do it. We're called to get involved. We're called to bring cases for little children. We're called to take shoes to, up to Kirksville. We're called to feed the hungry. We're called to clothe the naked. We're called to visit the fatherless and the widows. We're called to do it. And the easiest way is just to learn about Jesus. Hop from church to church. Be sporadic in your attendance. Don't get involved, but claim church hurt when you're actually, rightfully, and in a godly way challenged. Just claim church hurt. Church hurt. Church hurt. We talked about that last week. In the book of Hebrews, there's five parenthetical warnings. Parenthetical means that Paul is preaching along, and, is, and all of a sudden, boom, this thought came out of nowhere. It doesn't belong here, but it's here. Because he had a thought while he was writing. Oh, I had a thought. Let me write this down. It's the parenthetical warnings that show us how we drift away from God. And he says, don't do this. It begins this way. The signs of atrophy in your Christian life start with neglect. Neglect. Boredom with church, spiritual things, don't read the scripture or study, don't do that. And yet Paul says in Hebrews chapter 2, we must pay more careful attention. He's saying don't neglect, therefore, what we have heard so that we don't drift away. He's saying neglect of the important things, spiritual things, will cause you to drift. So pay attention. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how will we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So neglect. The next thing that happens is neglect leads to something called unbelief. First we neglect, and then we begin, ah, I don't think I buy it. Rather than pressing in, we give up. It didn't work for me. Christianity, going to church, getting involved, teaching Sunday school, being in a small group, it didn't work for me. It didn't work for me. I'm not, I'm not happy anymore. It didn't work. I, I need the magic. But the relationship to Jesus isn't about magic. It's not about staying on this planet. 
relationship with Jesus Christ is about chasing after Jesus by following his teachings and, and spending time with him so much that when it's time for us to leave the planet, but the goal of every Christian is to leave this planet. That's the goal. Home is the goal. People who've died are not awful people. It's just time for them. That's the days the Lord gave them on this earth. The question is, am I going to spend my days chasing after Jesus? In the book of Hebrews chapter 3, I'm going to progress right through the book of Hebrews. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage each other and uh, all the more, well, I, I, I got to say what's written here, but encourage each other daily and all, as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Uh, sin says, hey, if you had more money, if you had more sex, if you had more power, if you had more, you would be happy and God would love you and, and life would be good. And I'm just telling you, it's a lie. It's the deceitfulness of wealth that says your happiness is the most important thing to the kingdom of God. Is it terrible for me to tell you that that is not true? Your happiness is not the most important thing to the kingdom of God. Your soul is. Your soul is. Your joy is. But happiness is circumstantial. Thousand horsepower Corvette going sideways down the mountain just makes me happy. Scuba diving the Great Barrier Reef, it just makes me happy. Happy, happy, happy. I like that. But I'm not living to be made happy. I'm finding my happiness in the life that God gave me. And that's a huge difference. A huge difference. And I would encourage you to grasp it. The next thing that happens is we begin to, to enter into something called apostasy. Okay? We trade the truth for a lie. We buy into the world's way. After all, actually, it is all about me. And so we begin to walk away. We have, it's apostasy. We walk away. There it is. Book of Hebrews chapter 6. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. Fallen away, apostasy, to be brought back. To their loss, they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. When we say it didn't work, we're throwing shade at Jesus, and all the world's watching. That's what's going on. That leads to willful sinning. Since it didn't work, just go ahead and sin. It doesn't matter anyway. Since I don't believe anymore, since I've apostatized myself, then it's okay for me to say I want to sin, and therefore I am going to sin. It's in my nature after all. Since God made me this way, then I should just go ahead and participate in sin. Willful sinning. If we deliberately keep on sinning, it says in Hebrews chapter 10, after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the, uh, the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of now, I, I share that whole thing because that whole thing is the parenthetical warning. I'm sorry it's such a downer. I just want to challenge us and say, where do we begin to find ourselves in this drift? 
Where do we find ourselves in this drift as we say we, we trade nationalism for Christianity? Where we trade political parties for the person of Jesus Christ? Where are we in this? Where this world is so much more important to me and getting my way and people doing what I say than it is to see them saved and come to know the Lord? Where is it inside of me that little children in Madison County don't have shoes? Where is it that we've got a food truck that goes around all summer feeding children because school's out of session and that's where they eat, not at home? Where is it inside of me? The Lord reminded me, I told you a month ago, pennies is there, but it's about the people. The cases, it was about the people. The shoes was about the people. The BBS was about the people. Because what happens next is, and finally is, refusing to hear the Word of God. We drift from neglect all the way through to the point where we refuse to hear the Word of God. When the Word of God does not end the way I need it to end, we change the Word of God or we refuse to hear it at all. If the Word of God does not say what I want the Word of God to say, then we ignore it and we refuse to hear it. got challenged this week on my personal physical human being and the tattoo that I have on it not overtly but it was there in the email and I just wanted to write back and say did you have ham on Easter because that same scripture that you got set free from that allows you to eat the ham does not condemn me It's either all of it, James says, or we understand the grace of Jesus. And we've got to be there. But sooner or later, people refuse to hear the word of God. They reject it outright. They won't listen to you. They're not going to have an argument, not interested in your God. They're back to it didn't work for me, and we, and we go there. Paul writes it, sums all these warnings up by saying, see to it that none of you refuses him who speaks. I don't want to hear this, Pastor Joe. See to it that none of you refuses him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we turn? Uh, how much less if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? If we turn away from the words of God, what is there left for us? If we don't do it God's way, whose way are we doing it? Because I didn't create heaven. Once more, God says, he promised, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken will remain. The only thing that's left is eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. With all due compassion, welcome to hell. That's what the devil is trying to accomplish in your life. And I wonder as you're in here right now, because God made an appointment for you to be in here, you're not here of your own accord. I shared it with you before, Psalm 139, read it. Every day ordained for you was written down in this book before one of them came to be. If God's got you in here, what does he want to say to you in your heart? I know he's speaking to me, he's screaming out loud. He's screaming out loud and I'm getting it. How about you? Spiritual life feeling kind of dull? Too easy to roll over and not go to church. Ah, I don't need to do that today. Too easy not to be in a small group. Too easy not to serve. Too easy to attend, take it in, but don't do anything about it. Too easy to pass the guy that needs the lunch. Too easy to not bring them into the church or into your office. I'm, I'm talking to Joe Wood now. 
Is it too easy to do that? You're saying, blow this popsicle stand and move on. Is that where you feel inside of your soul like, come on, God. We want to pray for you. Reconsider spending time in your Bible. Get what's in here, in here. And then get what's in here, out there. And let's make it different. Let's get excited when somebody's life gets changed. And let's cry when a homeless man gets beat up on his way to church. That happened today. It was just another reminder that he needs to be in my life. Because this is his church. His church needs to surround him. Be there for him. And he is a person, but he's also a metaphor for you and I. We all know these guys. Not the homeless ones, just people that are getting beat up by the world, by the politics of America by racism, by sexism, by whatever other ism needs to be a wasm. It's time to start putting it down, and it's only going to happen when we stand against the current. Are you ready to stand against the current? Jesus loves you. He died for your sins. It's time to let go of this world, man. I'll be 59 years old. figure I've got to another good 20 years and I'm out then I'll retire off the planet and at that point I want to hear God say well done my good and faithful servant you did your best with what you had I hope the same for you but in the meantime these people are up here because they want to pray the kingdom of heaven down into your life are you feeling dry and you're like I need a drink from that well that Jesus spoke of with the woman at the well let us pray for you today Say, I need God to wake me up. Probably he needs to restore you to the joy of your salvation where we repent from sin that's going on in our lives, that we're getting comfortable. Let this be the day. Let's come up to our feet. God, you're in heaven and we're here. But you're here and we know it. And we can't comprehend it. We don't understand it. But I believe, Lord. And I invite you to help my unbelief. And I hear you, Lord. With the Lees in my life, the Kirksville Elementaries and the Mayfields and the, and the schools and, and, and the Madison Counties in my life, and the people that are in here, I hear you. And I just ask your forgiveness. What can we do? Just show us. We want to do what you're doing, not making up things, God. Jesus said he did what he saw you do and open our eyes to see what you're doing, God. And we say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit us today in this place in this house move us from our chairs to these prayer people fill us up with your presence in Jesus name we pray